please have a seat. What a great day to be here and worship together as God's people. I want to welcome you again. My name is Walter. I'm the teaching and small groups minister here at South, and it's just good to be surrounded by God's family today. Hey, we're in the second week of our new series called Go, and it's about how followers of Jesus are sent out into the world on a specific mission. Now, in January, we started this Bible reading plan where we're taking one chapter a day of the Gospels and, uh, and reading through that. And I hope that you found what, what I found, which is slowing down a little bit and just reading and reflecting on one chapter a day to be kind of a refreshing experience. Sometimes in our Bible reading plans, we're trying to blitz through and accomplish a lot. And so uh, we, we just read a ton and it kind of goes out in, you know, in, in one eye and out the other, in one ear and out the other. I don't know. It's in your mind and then it's gone. But hopefully slowing down and reading one chapter a day has been good for you. And so we've tied our sermon series to the Bible reading. And in January, we talked about giving up things, how, how God calls us to give up to follow him and and how there are expectations that come with being a follower of Jesus. Now today, and for the next few weeks, we're talking about, uh, now that we've established what it means to follow Jesus, we're talking about the mission that we're sent out on. And speaking of that mission, for those of you who've grown up in the church, like me, you've probably felt the, the, the drive to share your faith. That's the mission that we have given to us from Jesus. At the end of Matthew, in, in chapter 28, as he's uh, getting ready to ascend into heaven, his final instructions to his disciples are go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And we, as followers of Jesus, we share that mission. But again, if you're like me, and, and today's sermon is a kick in my pants as much as it is for any of you, I'm not holding myself up as an example because this is a place I struggle in. If you're like me, you've also felt the failure in execution when it comes to sharing your faith. You know, there have been times when I felt God's Spirit moving me and prompting me into action, and then there have been times when I've resisted or hesitated or failed to follow through, especially, especially when it comes to sharing my faith with others. And I considered, you know, looking at a, a specific moment or two from my life uh, and talking about that this morning, but then I realized the real story here is not an instance in which I've failed to, to follow through. It, it's... The story is the constant struggle that I face to be obedient and to do what Jesus wants me to do. And so when it comes to people in my life, you know, if I'm at the store and somebody asks me, hey, what, you know, what do you do for a job? I'm like, oh, I work at a church. Hope they don't ask me anything more than that. If I'm with a friend who used to follow Jesus and no longer does, I, I, I pause because I don't want to make things awkward or weird, and I think, well, maybe there's a better time to talk about Jesus later on. When I'm with a sibling who is far from God, I think, you know, they know I'm a minister, and so if they have questions, they'll ask, and I choose to not bring it up. What is it about sharing my faith with others that makes it so hard? Am I, am I alone here? Am I the only one? I think the problem for many of us, for me, is the disconnect between what we believe and maybe how much we believe it. Because if this is my actual reality, if what I say on Sundays is true, if Jesus actually rose from the dead, then, man, I have information, I have truth that others need to hear. The good news about Jesus should radiate from me all the time. 
And yet sharing my faith is one of those areas in which I struggle and I honestly chicken out too often. Now maybe you're there with me too. Some of you I know have these incredible stories of of how you've sat down to dinner with somebody or met somebody at the gym and you've talked about Jesus. And man, your stories inspire me and and they, they help me want to be a better follower. And then some of you are maybe a little bit more like me. You struggle about being open about your faith unless it's here when you're surrounded by friends on Sunday morning, when it's easy, right? But people of God, again, if what you believe is real, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have information that others have to hear. They they need to hear it. Don't you want your, your friend to experience eternity with you? Don't you want your sister or your cousin to know God's peace in their life right now as well as God's peace that lasts forever? Don't you want your neighbor or your coworker to experience newness of life in Jesus? Because, because I do, and you probably do too, but you have information that they need to hear. But perhaps that's a trouble. Perhaps you're not all that convinced of the essential nature of the gospel. Yeah, maybe on a cognitive level, you know, you know Jesus came and he died and he rose again and you know the truth and you've experienced the truth even on an emotional level in your life. You, you, you've worshipped with God's people and you felt God's spirit. But on a practical level, when it comes right down to it, you're not convinced enough to take action. Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit today because I believe that you and I bear a responsibility as people who know the truth to share the truth with others. But I also think that the first step in being willing to share that truth, is to understand just how essential that truth really is. So if, you, if you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 3, we're going to look at a couple specific instances from Jesus' life, Mark 3 and then Mark 6, and, and both of these episodes deal with the disciples. Now at this point in, in Mark 3, we're going to start in verse 13. Crowds have been following Jesus. Jesus has even called some specific people to follow him. So he's got disciples. But on this particular day, he chooses to appoint 12 individuals and calls calls them out, sets them apart for a certain mission. Verse 13. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out to the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. And then he appointed 12 of them and called them to be his apostles. And they were... They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. So Jesus appoints these 12 guys, and he gives them two responsibilities. Accompany him and go out and preach. And on one hand, and who wouldn't want to accompany Jesus? To see him perform miracles, to listen to the things that he taught, to grow in relationship and friendship with him. Sign me up for that gig in a heartbeat, right? On the other hand, there's the whole preaching and some of the the repercussions that would come with it. A big responsibility that these guys had. After Jesus ascended into heaven, they, they were tasked with setting up the church and making sure the church understood Jesus' life and teaching. And they ran into some friction, some opposition from religious leaders and some legal trouble and threats of physical harm. And eventually they experienced physical harm and rejection by their peers. And so on one hand, again, hanging out with Jesus, sign me up. On the other hand, there was a real cost to be paid by these guys. 
Let's keep reading. Uh, the, the list of, of names might be familiar to you if you've been around the church. Verse 16, these are the 12 he chose. Simon, who he named Peter. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. All different men, all different stories, but underscoring the the idea of hardship and cost that was associated with, with their mission is is the information that we have about what happened to these 12 guys and how their earthly journeys came to an end. Much of this comes from church tradition, but we, we have the example of Peter, who was crucified upside down. We've got the example of Thomas, who was pierced through the heart by the, the spears of four soldiers. We've got James, who was stoned and clubbed to death. We've got Philip, martyred in Asia Minor. We've got Andrew, crucified. We've got Matthew, most likely martyred in Ethiopia. We've got Bartholomew, martyred. We could go on. And the stories like these are not just limited to the disciples, these 12 men, but they're, they're, they're spread throughout many of the earliest Christians. What could lead 12 men and many other followers of Jesus What could lead them to be so sold out for their story, a frankly difficult to believe story at times, that they would be willing to give up their very lives? Now it's been said before, and you may have heard it too, that that one of the, the strongest evidences for the veracity of the gospel is this, that no one will willingly give up their life for a lie. You know, people might be willing to give up their lives because they believe a lie that somebody else told them. They might be willing to give up their lives to defend someone or a country or, you know, something they believe in. But, but when it comes to the equation of, of your life versus something you know to be untrue, man, it just doesn't work out. And, and so, again, no one will give up their life in order to keep a lie going that they know to be as untrue because the cost is just not worth it. But when it comes to the gospel, then you've got these 12 guys and you've got subsequent followers of Jesus. Just think about how many of his original circle, how many of their lives ended up uh, ending in horrific manners. These were people who knew Jesus. These were people who had accompanied him, as Mark 3 says. They knew the truth of his ministry, they knew the truth of what he taught, they knew the truth of his arrest, and they knew the truth of his execution. And so what could keep them maintaining the same story that he was God, a a frankly unbelievable story, unless, of course, they knew something else, some further truth, the truth of the resurrection. You know, the 12 disciples were completely dedicated to that truth. They knew what they had witnessed They knew what they had experienced, and beyond that, they believed that people's very lives were on the line. They believed in the essential nature of their mission, and they recognized that they had a duty to warn others to repent from their sins and to turn to Jesus. For those of you who don't know, my wife is a a mental health therapist, which means that I'm an expert in all things mental health. You know, first service laughed too. I don't know what you guys think about me. 
Here's the reality. When it comes to, to mental health, I take the approach that my professor uh, told us in college. She said, you guys in ministry, when it comes to these kinds of issues, refer, refer, refer. And so I refer, refer, refer. Um, if you have something you're going through, I want to talk with you. I want to walk that journey with you. I want to encourage you. I'll give you advice. I'll maybe help you find a mentor, but I'm also going to help you find a godly professional who has the tools and the training to help you get the help you need. But back to, to the realm of, of mental health. There is a, a, a right that all clients have when it comes to seeing uh, their clinician, and, and it's the right to confidentiality. And so that means that if you show up at therapy that your therapist can't divulge information about you that identifies you, they can't even let others know that you are in therapy, you know, no personally identifying information. And this is to make sure that you know that when you show up, what you say in that room with your therapist stays between you and your therapist. And, and, and all, all clinicians are, are bound by this with one exception, with one exception. The one clear exception is in cases where the, the clinician has reasonable grounds to believe that, that their, their client is in danger of hurting themselves or someone else. And so in these moments, this exception is called the duty to warn, the duty to warn. And so for the, the therapist to, to willingly break confidentiality, they must believe that a life is on the line. And because they believe that to be true, they take steps outside of their normal conventions to get help and to divulge identifying information. Here's what I believe about the disciples. They knew, they believed, they had a duty to warn others. They'd spent time with Jesus, they learned from him, they heard his statements of love and his proclamations of judgment. And, and don't get this mixed up, God's absolutely Love and he welcomes all people. He extends an invitation, but God is also just. Just read Matthew 23 if you have questions about what I'm talking about. Woe to you. Jesus issues judgment against people. God is absolutely love, but God is completely just as well. And there are consequences when we go our own way and we turn away from God and do our own thing. Consequences that require repentance, right? Coming back to God. Consequences that have implications for our lives right now and our lives on into eternity. And because the the 12 disciples knew these consequences, they knew Jesus' teaching, and they experienced the truth of the resurrection, they knew they had a duty to warn. Now, like I said earlier, while Jesus was still with the disciples, still ministering, flip on over to chapter 6, he sends them out on... Kind of a training mission. There are a couple different times in Scripture when Jesus sends out his disciples. He sends out 70 of of them at one point. But here in in Mark chapter 6, Mark 6, Jesus sends out the 12 on a mission. And this is how that goes. Mark 6, verse 6. Then Jesus went from village to village, teaching the people. And he called his 12 disciples together, and he began sending them out two by two, giving them the authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, 
Stay in the same house until you leave town, but if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, then shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So Jesus sends these 12 guys out on a training mission, you know, on a mission to go preach, to share the news of the kingdom of God. And it's interesting when you read this, his instructions to them, it seems like he spends just as much, if not more, time talking about what they shouldn't take than what they should take. And, and time talking about what they, they should do in the face of rejection rather than uh, you know, spending time encouraging them to stick with it, right? And when you, when you read this, the thing that stands out to me is, is maybe a sense of urgency. A, a sense that the mission that the, the disciples were heading out on was essential and they had no time to waste. So don't bring along all this luggage because... You're going to have to trust God and you're going to get out there and your message needs to be heard. And don't, spend, don't waste time with non-receptive uh, locations because your message needs to be heard. There was a sense of urgency. Let's see what the disciples did. Verse 12, so the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. So the disciples go out, they're warning people, repent and turn to God. And as a sign, they cast out demons and they heal the sick. And if you keep reading through chapter 6, which I know you all have done because you're part of our reading plan right now. If you keep reading through chapter 6, you'll find when the the disciples come back and, and meet with Jesus, they have this debriefing session. And they share and and they're excited and you can just imagine the joy and the excitement as they, they talk about the miracles they've seen and uh, how, G, how God has healed people through them and, um, and the people turning to God in repentance. You can imagine the excitement that that debrief session uh, had for these guys. And I bet the 12 disciples continue to remember that, but I also think that that sense of urgency with which Jesus sent them out, Go, don't take all these supplies. Just get out there and get the message. That sense of urgency had to stick with these men. As they then, in the rest of their lives, continued to, to build the church and to continue, and continue to, to preach that repentance, right? that theme of repentance that, that Wally talked about last week. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. John the Baptist. Repent and produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. That's a pretty constant theme running through the Gospels, a theme of people being called to repent. They were going one way, away from God, and to turn back to God. And that call to repentance, man, it's absolutely a warning. Because again, God is love and welcomes us in, but God is just and there are consequences. And it's clear that the people who called others to repentance, John the Baptist and the disciples, they viewed it as a matter of life and death. They were going to do everything they could, even to the point of their own deaths, to warn others so that they could hear the news and respond to the gospel. And that's why I believe that disciples are sent with a duty to warn. Disciples are sent with a duty to warn. Hey, you and I are disciples of Jesus, and we talked about this in January, right? Your your occupation might be manager of Walmart, but your vocation is disciple of Jesus. That's who we are as followers of Jesus. And so if disciples are sent with a duty to warn, then you and I are sent out with a duty to warn. And look, I know we have hesitancies. 
We don't want our relationships to be strained. We don't want to be those people. We don't want to make others uncomfortable. Maybe more than that, we don't want to make ourselves uncomfortable. But church, we've got a responsibility. And if the truth that we believe is true, and if this Jesus thing is a reality, not just something we talk about here on Sundays, then then we need to get out there. You know, if you're hiking in the mountains with your family, and you see your kids approaching a cliff that they don't yet see, you're going to scream and yell and try to get their attention. You're going to tackle them if you have to. You're going to keep them safe, warn them away from the danger. If you wake up in the middle of the night and the, the beeps are going off and you smell smoke, you're going to get everyone out of the house, right? You're going to warn people out of this house and help them get to safety. If you've got a friend with a nut allergy and they reach for a cookie and it's going towards their mouth, you're going to slap their hand away. Right? You're going to do things that seem inappropriate in other situations because you have a duty to warn these people. Life and death are on the line. I could go on. But church, I think we miss this too often. We've been given the message of life, of eternity, and we have a chance to warn people and welcome them back into God's kingdom. And it's not judgmental. On our part, it's not prideful, it's not harmful. In fact, I think the most loving thing that you can do is to warn someone away from harm. And it might make others a bit uncomfortable, it's probably going to make you uncomfortable, but your message is essential and others need to hear. For too long, I think that, that we as the church, we as Christians, have allowed the world to box us in. And they've told us that our our worldview is just one religion among many and that each of these religions, take your pick because they all lead to the same place. We've allowed the world to tell us that proselytizing, that that converting others is is wrong, is somehow harming them or their culture, when that couldn't be further from the truth. And we have a responsibility to share the news to share the truth so that others can hear it and so that they can have the opportunity to respond. You and I are messengers of the King. We're Jesus' disciples today and we are sent out just in the same way that the 12 were and we need to recognize that responsibility and, and this, is, this is the takeaway for today. I'm not trying to get you to do anything other than to reflect on this truth, to get your head on straight, to start thinking right so that you can live right. And in the the weeks to come, we're going to talk a little bit more about the practical implications of of how to share your faith and and what that looks like. Understanding that we're all sent out on this mission and there are, are, are ways that we can do this and encourage each other, but for just this week, The takeaway is recognize that responsibility that you have and that I have. Knowing that God does expect us to tell others about Jesus. And hey, I know that's not an easy task. And no matter if you're somebody who, who talks to people all the time about Jesus or if you're somebody who has never had that conversation because it's terrifying. No matter where you are on that spectrum, it's it's a difficult ask each and every time. You go talk to somebody. And so this week, 
I want to invite you to join the church, join God's people, not just the people in this room, but also for service and also people online. Join us in praying this prayer. God, help me to recognize and to submit to your calling on my life. God, help me to recognize and to submit to your calling on my life. And that's, that's all I'm asking of you this week. Pray that prayer in the morning as you wake up and, and reflect on that throughout the day. Join with God's people. Because look, you already know what I think. I believe that you and I bear a responsibility. We are God's disciples, we are Jesus' disciples, and we are sent with a duty to warn others. And so this week, will you pray with the church? Just pray that prayer, and and I'll pray for you to recognize God's calling in your life. And man, I, I would love for you to pray for me too. Will you join me now? Father God, we come to you as people who know the truth, who've heard the truth. God, we're thankful for your work in our lives. We're thankful for the story of Jesus and for the mission he sends his followers on. I pray this week, Father, that for those of us who are here and joining online, that that you would work on our hearts, that you would help us recognize the responsibility that each of us bear. That as we pray together, Father, that your spirit would would move among us and that we would come back next week excited and ready to move and that you would help prepare us and train us to to share our faith with others, to fulfill your mission, Jesus. So that's my prayer, that you would be glorified here among your people. Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen. Give us a chance now to, to respond to God through worship as Wally and the band lead us. And you know we do this every every week. We worship God by singing, which is one of many ways to worship God. We also worship by giving back, and we, we worship by celebrating the Lord's Supper. That bread that we share at the table represents Jesus' body that was broken for you and for me, and that juice represents his blood that was shed for us on the cross. But just like the disciples recognized the truth of Jesus' execution, they also knew and shared the truth of his resurrection. And because of that, you and I have hope. And so as we gather and as we worship, I encourage you to come join us at the tables and remember what Jesus has done for you and look forward with hope. Will you stand?